hobby with reckless abandon. Hello. Hi. We are live and we are Happy Jack's RPGA podcast and advice show. Um, and I am not Stu. My name is Kimmy. I was going to say, what, what, yeah. <laughs> Stu, what, have, what have you done to yourself? Yeah, so Stu is on a trip with his kids this weekend. So uh, we are covering the show. So who do I have with me? Hi, I am not Kimmy. I'm Joey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not Joey or Kimmy. I'm Stork. Yes. <laughs> um, so in this week's episode, um, Byron writes in about co-GMing. Michael writes writes in with a wild talents question. That's very exciting. And Verk writes in about JackerCon. So if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can email us your questions, comments, praise, whatever. Um, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. All one thing, happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on the social media. It's not social media wars. It's social media. Thanks, Stu. All right. Uh, you can find us on our forum at happyjacksforum.com or happyjacks.org slash forum. Either of those get there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And I'm not mentioning the other one. Uh, and we are happyjacksrpg, all one word, at all those things. So Could it be social media? Media. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it has a weird connotation, though. Yeah, it does, it does a little. It? Although kind of appropriate for social media, <laughs> yeah. actually. Um, and if you'd like to watch the show live, you can find us at happyjacks.org slash live or happyjacks.org slash twitch or happyjacks.org slash YouTube. Any of those will take you to a live show Fridays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. So, yes. Um, so Gen Con is happening right now. Mm-hmm. So right now. Right now. As right we speak. At this very moment. There's a bunch of sweaty nerds all gathered together in hotel rooms across yes. Atlanta. Yes. If you close your eyes, you can smell it from here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have a bunch of friends who are there. Um, and uh, doing a bunch of cool stuff, so check that out. Um, also, there's like some interesting. Uh, before we get to the emails, there's also some interesting news, and I've seen a lot of people kind of tweeting about it today. Is um, uh, recently there's a bunch of um, like longtime games that have released some new additions, and uh, one of the things a lot of people are tweeting about, um, just seeing it all in one place at Gen Con, some new games like Pathfinder has released a new edition, um, Shadowrun recently released a new edition called Cthulhu. There's a lot of a lot of games that have released new editions recently, and um, a lot of people are talking about how they're kind of moving away from, like, quote-unquote crunch. Um, we're not going to the great crunch debate again. We're never having that again. But, like, moving away from, like, like as many mechanics and being as, as mechanically based. Um, There's less and less charts in the books and more and more stories. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and, and more about how you don't... You, you, you know, creating a collaborative story, which is something that's been like a theme of ours for a long time. Yeah. So I don't know, and especially with us just passing last week, our ten year anniversary of being wow, a podcast. Yay! It was great. We forgot until <laughs> like we did. We, we did. <laughs> I can't believe it's actually really been ten years. I know. That just seems weird to me. It's so weird. Um, wow. So like, and I think like we're kind of in a unique position to like kind of like look over and like having been looking at these games and kind of dissecting them and talking about them for that long like this weird like kind of shift in the pendulum of what's popular and Stark you were kind of talking about this well if you want to go into this it, it, it can be kind of a long topic but um, it's actually it was, I was sitting here thinking the other day and it was actually prompted by something you said during our Traveler game Exodus mm-hmm. Traveler check it out the AP it's very good yeah. 
uh, Joy's in it too. Hey, we're all and it was something hey. you said where I was I was trying to get into the spaceship that we had, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm a mechanic and I have a skill of one and a traveler one's actually really pretty good. And I was I, I found myself telling the GM what to do. Well, it, it, rather than back in the day, my, my, it seems like my gaming style may have changed a bit because back in the day, if the GM says oh, you can't get in, that would have been it. I would have said, okay, I can't get in. I'll have to. Is, is there a window that I can break out and get in? Is there something else? But I found myself uh, talking to the GM and almost GMing the moment, and I was almost unconscious because I've sort of been doing that with a lot of the newer games. Mm-hmm. A lot of the newer games are much more collaborative. I used to. When I gamed, keep all of my ideas secret and spring them on the GM right at that right at that moment. It's like I'm, you know, all right, all right. We're gonna, I get to the lock. Am I at the lock? Yeah. Okay, I'm at the lock. Okay. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna blow it up. What? And that way the GM wouldn't have time to prepare. Nowadays, I find myself negotiating a lot more, and I found myself telling the GM how to GM the game. Yeah. Which Stu seemed to roll with it, didn't even notice, but you pointed it out, and it made me think. Like this is this a result of a much more collaborative thing, a much more storytelling kind of environment that we've been fostering, mm-hmm. and I could see how some GMs might not be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think it really just depends on what kind of story the GM wants to tell and what kind of GM they are. I think part of what you're talking about is kind of a leftover feeling of dealing with adversarial GMs. Mm-hmm. Where you want to keep all your ideas to yourself and spring them on your enemies. Mm-hmm. Then have time to prepare. I know I've done it, um, and I think especially with story games, like a lot of powered by the apocalypse and true story games like For the Queen and, and Girl Underground and a lot of things like that that are much more collaborative, you don't have that. It's everybody working all. as a team. That's right. And it's kind of what we talked about a couple times, which I think is in the prologue or the preface for Apocalypse World. They talk about being a fan of your players and being a fan of your players' characters. And I think adapting that, which a lot of games are doing now, I'm seeing a lot more in their, their first couple pages of instructions, is really kind of steering things away from the adversarial GMing and making it much more collaborative and making it much more being able to seize control and seize the spotlight when your character is doing a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I thought I was doing, but it, it does kind of step on the toes of the GM. You know? and, it, and Stu's cool enough that he's rolling with it, but I can see how this could be a bad habit. I can see that, but I think, I think it's um, showing a shift in the, tr- in the I guess just the... Style? St- yeah, style, and also just the culture of gaming. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, story games have, like, grown in popularity. They're still, like, like very... Well, most of them are very small and unknown, but there's enough of them out there now, and thanks to um, websites like Itch.io and things like Games on Demand, and people are looking for, like, GM-less games that they can play sometimes. Like, it's starting to get out there, um, like, the storytelling aspect of it, and I think that's impacting both GMs and players. Mm-hmm. Like, I think... I think years ago, like, uh, like, because you're, you're starting to see that even in games not PBTA, even in like more, you know, people are, we're starting to see this in D and D. We're starting to see like people who are running all these systems, even games that are, you know, what we think of as like me- big mechanics games or crunchy. Like, um, uh, uh, Mook runs really great games like that in um, GURPS. GURPS. So yeah. it's like, GURPS. yeah. Sorry, Steve's not here. Actually, he's in the chat room, and he's, oh. he's hassling us, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> Hi, Stu. Here at vacation. Go away. <laughs> I'm not mentioning MeWe. All right. <laughs> Damn it. I did it anyway. Ah. Uh, but um, so I think it's interesting because I think, in a way, it was, you know, it, it used to be more GMs versus players. And I think now, like, peop- like, players feeling confident enough to take, like, stories into their own hands and kind of do, like, what you've been doing, Stork, I think that... 
I think that's starting to bridge the gap there between like the GM saying this is my story and you're just in it to being like to GMs maybe because I've seen adaptations and even our GMs who have been GMing for a long time um, and the, the way they've kind of changed like building that kind of that trust like the GMs are now like okay here you take the story a little bit like run with it I, I yes and I th- I see a, a real cultural shift that way for for example I haven't played with a rules lawyery player in a really long time mm-hmm. and a really long time being three or four years but and, and yes I yes I'm in this insular bubble with this group of people but even at some of the cons I haven't run into the guys who are like you can't do that mm-hmm. you need to roll that's that's not possible people are much more casual about the rules now which is not to say that they're ignored it's just that people aren't jumping up and screaming saying you can't do that it's uh, on page 97 right here it states quite clearly you need a Langstrom 7 inch gangly wrench in order to succeed when opening up a, a type 3 lock you know yeah. or, and, and you, it, those people are gone it's same with the GMs it used to be a hard and fast line mm-hmm. you can either do it or you can't do it it says right here on this page yeah and maybe that's because it's a holdover, like you said, from High Guy Gaxian and from from the earlier games. But it seems much more loose now. And it, it, yes, I think it is a good thing. But I can certainly see some GMs feeling like their story is getting hijacked mm-hmm. when people are GMing their own moments and telling the GM what it is, what what to do. Yeah, um, I think though, like you said, all those people are gone. I I would. I would say in most cases, I don't think those people are gone. I think those people have adapted and just changed mm-hmm. what their idea of a good time is. And there's definitely, like, I'm sure you're right, Stroke, there are definitely going to be those people out there who haven't changed, who don't want it to change. And they play, you know, 3.5 or whatever, like, exactly like they always want to. Um, And, yeah, I mean, there is definitely, like, a contingent of people I've seen on social media, Twitter, and things like that, who bemoan the changes. But I also think it's one of those things that has kind of opened up the the gaming world a bit because anyone who's watched an AP with me knows that how great I am at remembering specific little rules, um, which I'm not. Like when I'm jamming, which is insane, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Like I'm bad about it, and I have a bunch of notes to take and things like that. But especially when I'm playing a bunch of games and then running a class all week and like all these things in my head, I'm like, wait, what game is this? What we rolled the the, the six sided ones for this, right? Like, <laughs> um, like for me, like I don't think if I had jumped in with. You know, people only speaking high Gagaxian who expected you to have everything memorized. You know, and we did. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. I had the player's manual memorized from cover to cover. I yeah. truly did. But luckily, you guys had moved away from that by the time <laughs> yeah, I showed yeah. up. Um, because, like, even then, even when we were only playing one system, like, I I don't have a great memory. There's a reason I have a million apps. I you know write things down, things like that. It's just one of the things about myself, and I have uh, ADHD, which is hard. So remembering all those things and really staying focused on specific specific rules is difficult for me. And I think immediately it would have pushed me out of the hobby. Mm-hmm. I think I would have sat down and played a game and. And like, hey, thanks for spending time with me. I'm not doing this again. So I think one of the, people are talking a lot about how the hobby is becoming more accessible. I think this shift is making it much more accessible because there's not that like paywall, like gatekeeping, whatever like thing you want to say of like proving you have this knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like people are cool with like you, you, the rules are important. I absolutely think that's true. But people are much more flexible with how the story goes. And in turn, I think they're much more flexible now with, okay, let's look that up. Or, hey, look at your notes. Or, here, let me help you. Than they used to be. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And I think, going back to something Stork said about you know the possibly problematic uh, side of this where people are sipping on the GM's toes, 
I think part of that is again having that conversation when the game starts. Are you playing a story the GM is dictating to you, and are you just basically reacting to the GM's story, which is fine. I've done it. I played that game. It can be fun. Or is this a collaborative story moment? Because it, it's it's going to depend on how you interact with the GM. It's like when you have like when you're doing a show with a director. You know, is the director the taskmaster who has a vision, and you are there to say your lines and do the blocking exactly the way you were told, the exact same way every time? Or is it something you can open up, mm-hmm. ask questions, try something new, try something different, and and really play and kind of create something with that director? Yeah, I also I think there's a balance in there. They're not black or white, to my no, mind. No, absolutely there is, not. There's absolutely a balance in there of of uh, the GM. Keeping things on the rails, or trying to at least tell his story, get his story in their heads wise, while, <laughs> right. while the players are running rampant all Some over his world. Some whip of a story. I'm yeah. not saying every Some episode needs to be a shopping yeah. episode, <laughs> but um, <laughs> although, but I, I wonder sometimes if if it's getting to the point sometimes where the GM is just completely frustrated, like you know, it's like the players are completely just you know telling their own story and running rampant, and, and maybe 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 it's, they have to take a step back, saying they're having a good time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but and, and again, it's up to the GM. The GM can say no, that lock doesn't open. Yeah, and, and try as you might find another way. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I guess they can push back a little if they want to Absolutely. steer it more towards yeah. rules. Like you know, you're going to have to roll for that. It says here on page ninety seven. Yeah, but then again, I think that's like you communicate to your players day zero. Yeah, like as you're setting up the game. You know, this is a story I want to run. I kind of want to keep it more on my side of things, or is it more like let's let's play and explore this world that I'm building? And if we end up doing something completely different, that's cool. Mm. Like Stu has talked about how I think when we did the second version of L5R, or maybe it was the third one, uh, not the not the most recent one, we had uh, we made we made other characters. And we completely went left turn. He had a whole story planned out with a bunch of stuff, and we were somewhere else, and he was just in the weeds making yeah. stuff up whole cloth. And eventually, we just ended the game because he confessed to us. He goes, and it also happened with one of the traveler games. He mm-hmm. confessed to us like, "Guys, I, I don't have anything planned for any of this. <laughs> you guys, you guys are just." Yeah. And so, can we just? I think it's not entirely the truth, but it, it, he, I could tell that he was just like. I Let's start moments. again. Yeah, I think, I think <laughs> anyone who jams hit those hits those moments. No matter how open world you are, no matter how improv-y you are, mm-hmm. like I've hit, I hit the that in Wild Talents, and it was very. I designed it, and we like collaborated on collaborated in a way that was very open. Like I had, like this is our town. This is just, you know the the playground you have. Do whatever you want in it. We'll make it work. But there were times where I like felt frustrated. I felt things weren't happening, or. There were just too many plates spinning, and he, Stu's like talked about that a lot with um, the vampire game we had, where oh man, like you guys keep adding things to these spinning plates, and nobody's actually like handling any of these problems. So I think that's a danger and a, a, a frustration a lot with kind of handing that over. But I think Completely. it also, I don't think you don't run into that when you over plan either. Like when I think back to the first times I was GMing with D and D Fourth Edition. Like, I had every step of this story planned, and things still went sideways, like, every way. And it was just, like, rather than keeping them in this playground of a space, I was keeping them, oh, no, the path is this way. No, no, go back I got a cool thing planned for you guys. Go this way. Go this little path. So I feel like it's almost less work to keep them in a larger space. It's like when you have kids on a playground, I think. It's like, here's your whole playground to play, or, oh, no, here's the sidewalk. Play only on this sidewalk. So, I don't know. That's the vision that comes to my mind, because I think I said playground a few minutes ago. Um, But I think also, like, as much as it probably frustrates people who are kind of, like, the old guard, 
um, and have been doing this and want to continue doing it in more the um, I, I, it's not necessarily adversarial always, but more planned GMing. Um, like like they have their storyline, they want to stick to it. They don't want to hand over a, a lot balance. of narrative there, control. There is a balance, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And um, but I don't want to give the impression that all GMs who go that way are adversarial because I don't think no, that's no. the case. No, no, no. But people who are more planned want to tell their story. I think also um, this shift in culture and this opening of of what a good game can be has also probably encouraged a lot more people to become GMs. Mm-hmm. Um, My daughter just GM the other day, yeah. and, and she's been spending years uh, basically telling these stories through text with her friends, and mm-hmm. they come up with these characters and they role play them out. Nice. And so she's finally taken the step into GM because of the stories, mm-hmm. not because of rules. I don't think anybody gets into GMing because they want to look at charts and, oh, and, God, and no. no rules. Yeah. They get into GMing because they want to tell a story. Yeah. And by by making it more story driven, I think it's it's really inspiring a bunch of kids. It's like, oh, so I can actually tell these stories with a little bit of structure on yeah. here that keeps it all even. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So my youngest, my my philosophy with raising my kids is I haven't really pushed nerdy stuff, nerdy stuff on them. Nerdic, nerdic, nerdic. stuff. That's, that's yeah, uh, new word in Scandinavia. I it's like nerdic. that yeah. so nerdic. much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stu, if you're still it, watching, that's t-shirt. T-shirt. But, <laughs> but it's all around. Or Samantha. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Make a make something nerdy. That's, that's definitely her brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just yeah. they've just been surrounded by it. It's and like you've it's, been ridiculously normalized successful. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But very nerdy and amazing. <laughs> but she she just DM'd her first game with her friend. They co-GM'd, in fact. And she had a really great time, but everything we're talking about here is stuff that she is encountering now mm-hmm. for the first time. Like, wow, they started to do things, and they they made these characters that just like one of them's a dragonborn, and mm-hmm. one of them's and she proceeded to tell like we had the story of that all sort of human based, and we had to drop back and figure stuff out, and all I could do was go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good luck. Yeah. Yep. I think it's interesting. I think it taps into something that like one of the things like. We did the first things that a lot of us did are like role playing chat rooms and role playing mm-hmm. forums and stuff online. That's exactly where she started. And yeah. yeah, and I think I think it really taps into where a lot of our roots in that sort of thing. Before we were able to find groups to play tabletop games with, a lot of us um, who grew up with the internet or got the internet in our early teens or something like. That was some of our first exploration. Or MMOs, where it's like, sure, there's the storyline, but you also make a guild and you hang out. It's a very social collaborative mm-hmm. thing in most cases. Um, so, I, I don't know. I think I think there's an interesting meshing of those kind of origin stories with well, uh, it, it, up. And if you think about, say, let's just take WoW, not to pick on it, but um, just because it's very yeah. wildly popular. But y- y- you have all these scripted quests that mm-hmm. you can go on. And I found more and more people were getting hungry and hungrier to just interact with their guild and, and role play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these people would start talking in character and do things running around like the Dwarven Citadel in the city, you know, as in their characters, yeah. just uh, interacting with other players for the story of it. Yeah. If they want to go out and quest, they just go find somebody with a question mark and they go off, they can go. So it, it, it was funny how, all right, so quests are fine. After a while, you get burned out, you start going into this whole story thing, and then that can dovetail into role playing mm-hmm. games. Yeah, um, Verk in the chat room also has like a really interesting point that uh, he says he's like, F, uh, honestly, I wonder if newer games are just better at explaining how to run a game. Like maybe this has always kind of been what was envisioned for role playing games, and then just like I mean, I, I like because I'm such a teacher. Like every version of a game, I kind of think of as a draft, mm-hmm. and then they improve, and sometimes they massively change things, so it's almost a different product. Um, but I I think that's a really good point. It, I think part of it is 
the the way the games were designed at the beginning were much exactly. more strategy games. That's mm-hmm. exactly they what were, I was and that's I think again where adversarial jimmy comes in. The first D and D was basically I'm going to set up all these traps and dungeons, and good luck trying to get to the end of it. It's mm-hmm. building you know a giant labyrinth for your players to get through, and I think, and this might just be my personal view on it because it's something I look for in games. Uh, I think the social skills in games is being much more developed. Yeah. And that it's encouraging role playing. Because mm-hmm. before it's like, oh, charisma's a dumpster unless you're a paladin. Um, right. No, no, charisma is great. <laughs> I, will, I have a TED talk prepared to tell you why charisma is great. Um, what, what one thing could you talk about for 20 minutes without any preparation? <laughs> charisma. charisma. <laughs> uh, but and, really, and I, I, ironically, you actually have to be charismatic to talk about it for twenty minutes <laughs> yeah, in front of exactly. people. Exactly, <laughs> the pudding. Um, but I think that's becoming a lot more um, apparent. Mm-hmm. Is, is they're they're developing those skills because before it was just kind of like a, a deception skill or a, a persuasion. But now you have persuasion, deception, mm-hmm. uh, intimidate. I'm just thinking of the D and D, and you have other mm-hmm. games that have different versions of it too. Yeah, but it's encouraging you to mm-hmm. interact in character. And I think that is helping push story as opposed to, oh, well, I'm just going to roll this one skill that's my talkie skill and, mm-hmm. okay, I do it, then I get by the guard and now we go into the dungeon. It's, it's encouraging more character NPC and character and character interaction which is going to develop your story much more. Yeah. Anyway, it's, yeah. Uh, I thought it was an interesting thing. It's like, here I am telling the GM how to GM. Yeah. But I, yeah. And I, I thought it was interesting kind of since we'd sort of had that conversation like seeing all the stuff coming out from Gen Con and people like starting to make this observation of like this trend across like big games and it's just kind of fascinating so yeah. interesting hmm. uh, and just, we've gone that way too fascinating alright so I guess we can probably actually get to the real emails but we have emails we have emails amazing um, co-GMing from Byron uh, hello happy Jackians I realized in writing in my la- the last email that I sent that it might be worth revisiting an idea, the idea of co-jamming as a show topic. We have seen Castu and the Zombie Wasteland. We have seen the tag team action of Madam Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> I have recently helped guide a bunch of noobs into the mess that is Pathfinder 2.0. I have also <laughs> been the guy and the, uh, the other GMs bounce mechanics off of to see if they make sense mathematically. End of the day, if it feels like... A clear understanding of team roles is pretty much the only requirement, although complementary personalities may be a second. In my case, I talked to the players, figured out what they wanted to do, and figured out how to give them some the some of the ideas as level one <laughs> level one damage sponges. <laughs> Having built the characters, I was in a unique experience to help coach the other people about how they should work and tell the main GM how the rules worked for that character. I was thinking that it could be handy in a con setting where the GM may need help hurting the characters in a new system and allowing the main GM to focus on the plot. It sounds like Jason did this a wee bit for his for the Wild Talents game. Any hoot, drink, and stuff. Byron. Very good. Yeah. So I think I'm the <laughs> only one here that's co-GM'd. And in fact, I'm almost exclusively co-GM'd yeah. in the last five, six years, and that's with Kadev. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything you say is spot on. First of all, Dave and I are very similar personalities, although he's probably... the funnier than I am, and he's probably one of the nicest people I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of, yeah, we kind of had set up roles. Like, I was sort of the idea guy, and he was much mm-hmm. more of the mechanics kind of guy, so I would sort of do exposition and lay out the scene, and then when it got to 
dice rolls and, and rules, he was he would take over that kind of thing. And, and we kind of talked about that ahead of time, so we weren't stepping on each other's toes. Mm-hmm. Because at, at a, once or twice we've crossed before, and I think it was Elspeth that said, "Ooh, you guys aren't agreeing with anything." And it was just a momentary little flash, mm-hmm. but it, it it can get awkward for the players if the GMs are like, "Why are you doing that? What are yeah. You, you mm-hmm. want to do that?" Mm-hmm. You kind of need to agree all the time, yeah. even if you don't. It's kind of like being a married couple. You need to agree to see your <laughs> players feel comfortable. Like, like, are you guys really know what you're doing? Do you, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable Mom here. Mom and dad are fighting. Yeah. In many ways, <laughs> it's like having a great dance partner, somebody you've danced with for a long time, yeah. or as an acting partner. You need to be able to trust. I always use the acting analogies, but uh, when you when you well, there's a chemistry that happens with actors, and there's a trust that happens. You have yeah. to be able to trust the actors. Not just going to remember their lines. God, that that's like the least of your worries. <laughs> like everybody's up there's a pro. They should, should trust that they absolutely remember their lines. Mm-hmm. But that they are going to listen and feedback those lines at you that mean something instead of just a root. So when you're co-GMing, you want somebody that you trust that will... It completely gets the story that, that you're trying to tell together, and and will add to it rather mm-hmm. than just uh, blocking or or bringing the mood down or... Um, you want a good dance partner. You yeah. want a good acting partner. Yeah, yeah. I've co-jammed. Oh, oh good. Uh, I've co-jammed a couple times. Um, never for a campaign. I've done it with Frey back in the day. Actually, the first time I played Wild Talents, um, not played, but uh, like ran Wild Talents. I was co-jamming with Frey. Um, I co-jammed with um, Bill for Wild or Savage Worlds, like a pulp game at a con one time. And then I was supposed to co-jam my original Laser Ponies game with Casey. That's right. But he was super fucked up from drinking way too much, so I ended up running that solo. But, uh, yeah, I think that's... I, there's a lot of, like... And, and, and like, like with a good dance partner, I really like that. Like, you have to realize, like, which... Like, whose job is what. You're right. Like, you're going to have different strengths. You're going to have different things. Like, uh, one of you might... You know, you, like, you said you're more ideas. Kadev sometimes is more mechanics and stuff like that. Which is ironic, because he's, he's usually the idea guy in all of his, <laughs> with all of his friends, but... But... And so, yeah, I think that's really important. And just having that all kind of laid out, which you said is the number one most important thing. I 100% agree with that. Um... And just a way of, like, maybe deciding. Like, when you're at the table, like, those little moments, like, hold on one second. And, like, are we going to write it down? Are we going to have a Slack channel where we can, like, message each other so it's not mom and dad are fighting in front of us? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. Because, um, actually, at one point in our Savage World game, um, there was actually going to be two combats that were going to happen simultaneously. So Bill and I ended up moving because there was an empty table near us because it was a strategic con. And he ran one combat while I ran the other combat. And we were basically texting back and forth furiously, trying to be like, is this right? Yeah, is that okay? Like, they're doing this right now. And, like, because it was all, like, in the same, like, kind of, like, climax of the plot, if I remember correctly. Uh, As as I remember, it kind of dovetails with what he said in about being able to hurt people. And as I remember correctly, because Bill has has talked about this a couple of times, Mm -hmm. when you guys got it back together, it was, you guys, both of you, like, hit your climax at the right time. It came in together, and it was like, yeah, it was high fives all around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Climax at the same time and come in together. Um, I didn't realize it was using six sexy words. <laughs> it's fine. Really? Well, you had a point there, Joey? Oh, yeah. I was just, I was just going to say, I, I've never co-GM'd, like, officially co-GM'd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to, with uh, my best friend who runs our home, a lot of our home games, I'll kind of be an assistant GM. So mm-hmm. he's the one running the game. I'm in the game, but in between sessions, I'm a springboard. I am mm-hmm. kind of keeping an eye on what the players are doing. Especially, I think the first time I did it was in a Star Wars game. I was the only player who'd ever played any role-playing games before. Oh, yeah. So he wanted me to kind of be there to kind of help guide the players if they needed to and help yeah. them with rules. 
and it's just kind of evolved from there. Um, I've definitely done that. Like when I'm getting games together, like mm-hmm. making sure I have like the ringer, yep. who's like in the game, who like has played the system before or knows like the uh, like, especially if you're playing in something like Vampire, where there's like all this like fluff stuff that you need to know about the societies and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting place to be, and it helps not step on anybody's toes because mm-hmm. clearly the GM has full control at the table, mm-hmm. but you're able to kind of help guide the players if they need it. You're able to kind of give the GM ideas as you're there and you're able to see what's going on. Um, and sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot. In um, <laughs> another one in the game we were playing, we were playing a Harry Potter RPG that we were working on and I accidentally gave him the idea of creating wizard Charlie Manson. And that oh. was not great no. uh, for us. No. Uh, that was terrible. <laughs> uh, so careful with that. <laughs> but it's it's a good way of doing the co-GMing thing, of being that springboard, of, of helping... Yeah helping collaborate on the story with someone without the fear of stepping on someone's toes or having people look at two different directions as far as who's in charge, who's running the show. Yeah. Dave has often said that um, I usually show up... It's usually... Whenever we co-GM, it's usually my idea. I come up with something I I really want to do. Uh, And I show up with just, like, all these ideas, and it's Dave has to edit. Mm. He's, He's the one that pairs it down to a manageable size. Nice. That being said... We can cover a lot of ground as two GMs. Mm-hmm. Our stories aren't just one scene. No. They 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 go for four hours, and we take these people on a really long journey. And I think it's probably because we have two people. While one person is setting up a scene, the other guy's pulling out a map. Yeah. While the other person is is uh, working on these two on their sidebar, the, we're dealing mm-hmm. with this guy on the sidebar, and, and then you know information can come out and get handed out, and then it gets handed. Out. So you're able to really move things along mm-hmm. if you're. If you if you're very conscious of the fact that both of you guys are there, I mean, I can remember distinctly in one con game, uh, we're co-gming and he's busy talking to people for about five or ten minutes or so, and I look at them and I said, "What are you guys doing?" And so we kind of went to one side and they went to the other, just because, you, as one GM, you can only interact with so many people at once. Yeah, and it it really can streamline your game as long as you guys have a or have a good dance partner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I find a lot more advantages to it. It's different. But I find it takes some of the stress off of yourself too. You suddenly you have somebody to bounce ideas like, is it what page is the sneak or the grapple rules on? You know, and you mm-hmm. have somebody you're not just flying blind like I, I I don't have time to look them up right now. Or can you look up the grapple rules? I'm going to handle it. Yes, mm-hmm. got it, got it, got it. So you really can streamline and move your games forward well or fast if you have another person there working with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, I think in con games it can be a real advantage mm-hmm. because you're on a, such a time, little limited time switch and you really want to take these people on a journey. Yeah. I don't know in the long run, you know, if two people crammed on the end of the table <laughs> week after week after week, if it might just get old. But. Well, I think that what might help there in a long game, a long con, yeah. uh, would be basically deciding who's handling what aspects of the story. Yeah. I know, um, I think Adam and Jason ran a Masks game. Yeah. And they tag-teamed that game, and they basically decided, okay, well, we're going to deal, I'm going to deal with this part of the story, and anything dealing with that that character or that stuff, I'm going to take care of. And if yeah. we end up dealing with this stuff, that's stuff I'm taking care of. And you just kind of assign yourselves, yeah. kind of like if you're writing a comic book together. Like, mm-hmm. these are my characters, I'm going to deal with this plot. These are my characters, I'm going to deal with this plot. Mm-hmm. You can do that in a long game, I think, and be pretty successful. Yeah, um, I think one of the cool things about it, like especially with like a long campaign, is it sort of I think ebbs off burnout a little bit. That's true. Because I feel one of the hardest things for me when I'm GMing is like talking about it. Because we're all friends. Like the people I hang out with at this table are the same people I hang out with in real life. 
So suddenly when like half your friends are in your game, you're like, oh god, I want to talk about this thing so bad. So it's like, okay, Susan, I'm my game. So then it's like, I'm going to show up early and talk to Stu about it before everyone else shows up for the right. podcast every week. So, but then like, I think if you have like that co-conspirator kind of like not to make it adversarial, but just like someone you can like like nerd out about your game with, like, oh, this is such a good idea. Oh, I can't wait for this to happen. Oh my god, I can't. Did you? Could you believe when they did that? Yeah. And like all this stuff. So when you have those moments, it's great to have that person. As a sounding board, but also someone to like keep you motivated and excited about the game. Oh, absolutely! And so that was that was one of the things that I still like. Frey and I, every once in a while, like when we like he moved farther away, so we don't see each other very much. But we still like when we get together. Like, oh god, could, do you remember when this? Oh my god, that happened in my last Wild Towns game too. I can't believe that the Dragon Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that was uh, that was another Wild Towns game. That was years later, but our first one was like a high school. And it was uh, the game I learned the importance of maps on the table, even if it's not like a like a thing, because we realized about halfway through the game we were t- taking place. It was taking place in a high school. Every person at the table was picturing their, their high school. school. <laughs> so when we're like, okay, we crossed to the gym, like everyone was picturing completely different layouts, and we suddenly looked up and we're like, oh fuck, okay, let's draw this. We need a hallway. We yeah. Need a, yeah. <laughs> this is this is. Of course, you drew your high school. <laughs> well, we kind of—that's when we did it because, like, I was—I'd taken over for a minute, and I was describing—I forget—they're crossing something, and at my high school, the football field's right next to the gym, which in the pool's right behind it. So I'm like, "Oh, okay." So they cross the football field, and they go to the and and <laughs> Ray turns to me, he's like, "No, no, the football field is over by this," and then I was like, "Oh." <laughs> so it was, yeah. So yeah, also make sure you're picturing the same things if you have a co-GM. <laughs> I actually, that does bring up a point. I, I do like maps, and it was Bill that summed it up the best, and I've said this numerous times, but mm-hmm. it's just nice sometimes to have a sense of geography. Mm-hmm. Like, even whether you're going to hide behind the rock or not, it's just kind of cool to like, so, it's, and, and it solves all those problems. Like, this is where the gym is, this is where the door is, this is where the football field is. Okay, now everybody has at least some idea of the layout, right? Mm-hmm. And it gives you a sense of idea, geography, and then you can play within that. But otherwise, it can be just sort of Nebulous and yeah. gray. Yeah. yeah, having a sense of environment is helpful too. Because even if like yeah. your tables and chairs, mm-hmm. if maybe that table is not where you're at, but maybe mm-hmm. it gives you the idea to jump on the table yeah. and grab on the chandelier and swing across because it's all there in picture for you. Yeah, like we did our uh, the 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 freak show in the Fey realm, and I found some really cool maps, and one of them was sort of like this graveyard standing stone kind of thing, and so I dropped that down, and everybody's like ooh, and then I just sort of put the bad guys around, but it. By giving them that map, everybody suddenly had this sort of misty, Stonehenge-y, graveyardy yeah. thing all in their head, all because of the map. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's yeah. a different topic, so, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, G- Jason did really help with uh, making characters for the Wild Towns yes. game. It was one of those things where I was like, "Hey, I'll make characters with you." Also, Jason knows a bunch about Wild Towns; he's happy to do it too. And Jason was just like, "We came in, was like, I get to make characters," and like, swooped everybody up. He was amazing. Yeah, he was really good. <laughs> I. But that's another email. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. Well, he mentioned that at the beginning of the, at the end of this one. So um, he did the thing about wild talents too, which kind of segues great into our next email. Look how professional I am, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, there, you actually create your own talents. So there is like a menu in the in the the game of all the different powers you can have, but you also can make up your own powers. So when anybody, even if I'd helped the players um, make their own talents, sometimes you really have to have like a grasp of like how exactly it works and what all the advantages and disadvantages and time limits and you know um, range and stuff like that. So 
that the little bumpiness that happens with powers is very common for wild talents until people have used them a little bit and start getting all those things down. So especially if you haven't created the character, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if you even if you helped create the character and you just didn't do all the math or it was your first time using the system, it's a little bumpy. For yeah. that's the one the one kind of challenging thing, and why I often encourage a lot of new players just to use stuff off the menu because mm-hmm. um, there is like pages of menu that you can pretty much make any it was, character. It was very helpful. Yeah. So all right, next email. Who would like to read this one? Oh, right. well, oh, go ahead. Oh, no. <laughs> <clears throat> Hello. I have been watching your YouTube videos uh, and really enjoy them, and I thought you might be a great place to reach out for, for some help. Okay. I am a casual RPGer, and I am currently working on putting a campaign together for my friends who almost exclusively play D&D. I am almost done with the rule book, but would be lying if I said I fully grasped it. Combat and damage, especially taking a minute to fully understand... Uh, I wanted to ask if you could point me toward online resources that would help with teaching the rules, especially a campaign, and perhaps more importantly, providing examples of play, especially combat. And I just realized this is, I didn't say the title, it's for Wild Talents, not D&D. <laughs> um, thanks so much. And this is by Michael. Thank you, Michael. I've done this before, I promise. <laughs> Um, I guess this is a question for me. Um, I can't actually point you towards any specific online resources. I have a couple, and I don't remember where I got them. Um, They're saved on my Dropbox right now. So I'll look around. Um, One of the coolest things I have that helps run it is um, uh, really cool, carefully laid out character sheets that are fillable PDFs that do kind of the math for you. I love fillable PDFs. There's Um, a couple of systems out there. Sometimes you have to pay money, like five, six, seven bucks or something to buy the little, um, what are the package? But they're really well worth totally it. Worth they worth really it. are. Yeah. All the rule books and all that stuff, and it does that stuff for you. I highly recommend yeah. them. And paying and for it is a, is great because it encourages more people for yeah. more systems to make those things. And so if mm-hmm. nothing yeah. else, like my handwriting is terrible, and if I make <laughs> people's character sheets, they're going to be like, "Is that a six or a two? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also have like a quick um, like wild talents like two page thing. Um, I posted it in our Slack. Um, but I'll, I'll post it on the forum if I can. Um, happyjocks.org slash forum. Um, I have no idea where I got it. I have no idea. Because I've been running this game for years now. Um, but it, it's, it's, it breaks it down pretty simply. Honestly, and I've said this before, like Wild Talents, I find the best way to teach it is to play it. Um, and I usually don't even bother explaining the mechanics, of, the, especially of combat, until we're in our first combat. And I do that with both con games, and I do that with our campaign as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because it's a really simple uh, system for how the roles work and things like that. And when you once you start, oh, I'll have to just check in these little boxes. Oh, one slash for stun, two, you know, an X for kill damage, and things like that. And knowing that you know whatever the number on the die is is the body part that's hurt, things like that. But when you sit and explain it, it's like I'm explaining it right now. It's much more complicated than when you just play it, and it's very intuitive once you start actually rolling with it. So um, I usually, in my campaigns, I usually try and have like there be like a very low stress combat for some reason, like r- right up front. That, some sort of conflict. Yeah, some mm-hmm. sort of conflict where somebody has to roll something, so they just start getting it, getting rolling with it. <laughs> um, but it, like, it's not high stakes. Like, they're not going to lose. They're not going to. So they don't have to be stressing out that they're using their powers to the utmost. It's something small, so they learn how the mechanics work, work and how to go through it. So that's my biggest my biggest suggestion with wild talent specifically. Actually, jump, piggybacking off that, while you mm-hmm. think of another one. Yeah. Um, Stu's tried and true method for learning any system is to roll up two characters and then fight them, fight against each mm-hmm. other, so that you can see how the characters roll up, see what pitfalls are involved with that, 
uh, have them fight so you see how the the combat mechanics work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you 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 learn a lot by doing that that way you're kind of running your own little mini game but you also don't cheat don't just sort of sort of make a character you mm-hmm. want to make them both fully fleshed out and you know maybe make them really opposite maybe make one well hero terms one's yeah. a brick and the other one is you know, maybe in a, and, and see how they work yeah so that you have a really great idea of what it is you're getting yourself into. And that will solve a lot of the problems for you. If you're having trouble grokking combat, if you're having trouble grokking uh, some of the rules by running it one day, you're going to be going, oh, God. And then you'll, start, you'll find yourself going through the book and then maybe even earmarking some of those parts of the book with posters or something mm-hmm. to remind you that, oh, yeah, this is something I'm not clear on. When it actually comes into the player games, I, I, something that I can research or now I know where to look. Yeah. Yeah. So many. My book still has like a million little flags because like I was saying earlier, I have a terrible memory and I have ADHD. So my nice color-coded little flags for all the things. These are the pages I need to know for combat. These are the, combat, these are the pages I need to know for character creation. These, like, and that's what the GM yeah. screen is supposed to be for, but everybody forgets to look on it. <laughs> we always, there's, all those, there's all those charts and rules in there, but we're be, really we're just hiding Sometimes our roles. Sometimes there are too many charts yes. and you get lost. Or you just free. It's like I know it's on here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there's a. That's why I have the cool GM screen where I can slide in. So I just write the things that I always forget how to do. Like the help mechanic is always one thing I always ask for. I always gets asked for, and I always forget. Right. <laughs> so whatever system I'm running, like that's in my my GM screen. Or Grapple actually, rules. now that I r- mostly run games at this table, we don't really need that. I have a little notebook where I just have like everything written down. Um, and anybody who watched Wild Towns probably saw me writing down like over here it was always sitting right here so every time I w- did the weird thing where it looks like I'm looking at someone's shoes I was actually writing things in my notebook um, one, another thing about Wild Talents is um, it's run without like a combat map so that might be something also that it's going to be hard for people who've mostly done D&D especially mm-hmm. if you're not doing Theater of the Mind like doing Theater of the Mind for the first time can be a little bit tricky um, especially because some of the powers do have to do with range and things like that. So as you're running combat, you kind of need to describe, um, like, oh, yeah, he's about you know 50 yards from you, things like that. So they kind of are able to picture that. Um, so that might be a little bit of a bump in the road for people. If you, it, I mean, some people run D&D Theater of the Mind, and that's fine, too. If you've been doing that, that won't be a problem at all. But if you've been running more with combat maps and you know counting out the squares and things like that, that might be a little bit of a change. You can that. do a hybrid of the two. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't go... I don't go square by square by square, but I do put out a map and I do put out some characters. And sometimes because certain characters, like in the Freak Show, there's a there's a guy that breathes fire and he has ranges. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, so there's a fire template and I want to make sure I honor the fact that he is in or outside of that, that blast. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's a really powerful attack, but it's kind of uncontrolled. It kind of makes this big cone. Mm-hmm. So to balance out the fact that he can do like you know 40 dice damage it, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of uncontrollable it's either on or off so I want to make sure that that is there but I'm not making them you know alright you can only move this square and you can only move yeah. it this square mm-hmm. because then the game suddenly comes to a grinding halt yeah. but it Again, it solves more problems than it, it creates does. by having a map there and having the characters there. People yeah. know which way they're facing. Yeah, they know where the doors are. Mm-hmm. They know they, where they're grouped up. Oh, if I'm going to breathe my fire, um, I need to take two steps this way so I don't hit everybody. Uh, all of that stuff is then explained right yeah. there for you, rather so than you going, "Where are you? Where are you? Yeah. Can I?" What it? It can get a little muddy sometimes. So having a map instead of a battle map. Mm-hmm. Well, well by myself. Well there. said. Yeah. yeah. No, because I 100% agree. Like we were just saying about the high school. Like you have to have something where everyone knows. Oh, that's the building. That's the gym. That's the office. That sort of thing. But and then you yeah. can still spend a lot of time. I mean, basically, more often than not, I will set up the the combat encounter, and then we never touch the minis again. Yeah, they just <laughs> like sometimes wearers. sometimes somebody will move behind a rock. Sometimes people will, <laughs> or I'll I'll knock the the characters down as they you know the enemies down as they fall. But for the most part, it's just there kind of as the initial setup. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's such a fun, malleable system, um, and I've run it. 
for everything. Like I, I did a um, a Harry Potter version of it one time. Like I've skinned it as anything else. I I use the mechanics from it, but I very. I mean, I guess I have run more superhero games than anything else with it because it's kind of the system. But you can reskin it. It's really fun. I like it. Uh, be prepared for your D and D players to balk at the fact that they have to make all these decisions up front. Yeah, when making it, characters, mm-hmm. and even during attack, because yeah. you're basically your your initiative and your attack and your damage. Are all combined? Is that right? Combined the into one? The whole thing, yeah. Not your initiative. Your initiative is based on your sense stat. Okay, that's right. Um, so, and it, it, people feel weird about it at first because you actually declare what you're doing last if you have the highest sense. Yeah. Because you have more sense, so you're able to get more information. So you get to hear what everyone else is doing before you say what you're doing right. so that you have more information to make a better decision. So yeah, after everybody else is attacked <laughs> or whatever, then you can make an informed decision. It, it really does make yeah. sense, but the, the people are like, but I should go first. It's like, no, you're smart enough now that you really want to wait and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, and then everybody rolls at the same time, and then all of it is uh, resolved through that one roll, which is why it's called the one roll engine or. Which so is a lot of fun. It's very just fun. Be, so much just fun. Be, um, yeah. Just be extra patient with your, your D&D players who are, who are going to be Freaking out of that because I at, when I first came, I'm kind of flipped. Too. I'm like, huh? Mm-hmm. It is. It takes a little getting used to, but it is. It's not broken. Mm-hmm. They just you just need to comfort them with the fact that although it's different, it works. Yeah. Trust me, this will all work. Yeah, and I, I think with any new system, like they've said, just try it out. Just yeah. try it out by yourself. Try it out with your you know your players. Maybe you don't have them play the characters they're going to play. Just maybe just roll up some other characters and just have a go at a combat. Yeah, um, that's always going to help you learn the system best. Just kinetically doing it because you'll remember. Oh, we forgot about that when we did the the tryout. I'm going to make a note of it. Mm-hmm. Or I remember that now because that happened when yeah. he missed and he helped and he grappled and you have a frame of reference. It's your own personal example sidebar mm-hmm. from the book. Just you have that personal experience now. Yeah, and it it can be a super deadly system. So make sure yeah. they're prepared for that too, because that is very different than D and D in yeah. some cases. Watch out for fire. Yeah, fire yeah. burns. <laughs> electros- electricity, if it hits, like goes through the rest of your body, causing damage until it grounds. Like it's 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 deadly. So make sure they're ready for that. And if you have questions while you're running, um, you can go to the forums, happyjacks.org/forum. I'm happy to answer questions. You can tag me. Um, Jason also is fantastic with answering questions about the system. There's other. Um, there's a bunch of uh, wild talents fans on there. So, yeah, do the thing. Exciting. There you go. Last email. Jacker Khan from Verk. Yay, Verk. Hello, Jaggers. So, so Jacker Khan just ended, and I wanted <laughs> to share some of my highlights. I was lucky enough to get into Kadev's Tales of the Loop slash Aliens game. I should feel like I need to stop and explain to If anybody's just now tuning in, Jacker Khan yes. is an online game that's started by our fans. Yeah. And uh, I think it's still spearheaded by the same guy, but yeah. but um, he, it ha- he has its own website and everything. It's really awesome. They, you guys, and for those of you that are new, have, have set up this whole online gaming thing that happens once a year, mm-hmm. and everybody just gets online. And it's a twenty-four hour. No, it's a whole. It's week. a whole. It's a whole week. Yeah, of gaming. And people run games in all different time zones and stuff. And yeah. it took a hiatus for a while, and it just came back this year. And I think there were like eleven games. It's, so it's it was really great. cool. It's its own little informer, informal Happy Jacks Con. Yeah. Thus, the term. Yeah. JackerCon. Yeah. So, and you can find more information about the next one at jackercon dot com. I don't think I don't know if it's been updated. We haven't picked dates because this one just recently ended. So, we're reading an email about it. Um, but uh, check out the forum and hang out and definitely stay up on that because the next one I'm sure will be even bigger now that it's back started as, again. As a side note, it's just I, I'm unbelievably honored that people are so excited about our little show that they came up and mm-hmm. on their own initiative made a whole con yeah. mm-hmm. so that they could all play with each other. That, <laughs> that is like at that point I feel like you know mic drop. <laughs> so cool. 
Uh, and we will never speak of this again. Never speak um, of this again. After ten I, years, they don't hate it. All the feels. Uh, okay, so uh, playing in Dave's uh, Tales of the Loop slash Aliens game. It was basically awesome. <laughs> a bunch of kids experiencing the start of a xenomorph apocalypse was such an interesting trope to play out, and it felt very much like Stranger Things, and I loved it. All the players were great, too. D47 and Gerald killed it with their one-upping each other. <laughs> felt so perfect for the game we were playing. Kadev also plays a wonderful 80s-era parent. Sure, you can go on an expedition to the unknown possible alien ship. Just do your homework. Classic. Nice. The other game I played was kind of a Shadow Jacker Con game. I was putting out feelers to see if anyone wanted to play in a For the Queen game. I posted it, and it filled up just from the feelers. Nice. Jason and Samantha ended up playing, and it was rad. Nice. Our Beetle Kingdom will never fall. <laughs> Turns out For the Queen works great online. Thank you, Happy Jacks, for bringing together a cool community of people. Virk. P.S. So, why don't you run a game for JackerCom? P.P.S. Shout out to Bill and Kade for uh, for hosts that ran games. Yes. Very good. Yeah, I, I like you're saying. Like I am always amazed and baffled and humbled. Is humbled, the word I yeah. use. I'm absolutely humbled by yeah. our fan base and and how passionate you guys are. And it, it, it's that's so cool. Yeah. So, and I think also like I don't know. There's some. Like I, I've been a lot, I, I've been a fan for a, of a lot of things for a long time, and I've been in a lot of fan communities. And there's just like a quality to the Happy Jacks community, and I might be a little biased, but also like as a woman in fan spaces, like like the lack of toxic grossness in ours is very. It's great, and it makes me feel very proud of our community. And I'm going to cry. It don't stop. <laughs> um, but See just, the feels. Yeah, these the feels, feels are coming out. Um, but also, just like the genuine, like, like caring and people who want to run good games and want to have fun and want to just make our um, our hobby a cool, fun, happy, fun thing is great. It's very good. As a performer, I am always honored when people come up later and say, you know, I, I love your show. I've been coming for years, you know, mm-hmm. and it's. For every one of those people that has the courage to come up and talk, which is bizarre, I mean, just a dude. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 hear, I read all these interviews about Broadway stars, and, uh, and they have the same reaction. We're like, I'm just, I'm just doing my job, you know? I'm, it's been a long night, and it's cool. It, it, it's an honor. The fans remind us that this is affecting people, and mm-hmm. that it's helping people, and it's, it's, it's really great. It's great. We're not doing it for the adoration. We're doing it just because... Well, Stu did it because it, it was broken out there. People were following charts and not telling stories, and we need to do it. And we need more GMs, and it's and it's now taken on a life of its own. And it's it's always we don't do it for the validation, but it's nice to know that we are not screwing up. Yeah. <laughs> that that we you know because yeah. we get enough of the letters that's telling us we're screwing up. Well, and, and it's fine that we screw up. Like we totally do that. Like I've never. But I the the ones that always get me are the ones who are like, hey, you know, I started gaming uh, you know after you know this wanting to game and then seeing your show a couple times and or uh you know i I, because i heard your stories about your con i went to my local con things like that where we um like us sharing our experiences because i think that's the most important point whenever people feel like there's camaraderie then they hear stories of people succeeding and doing things it makes them braver about doing things Mm -hmm. like it was like like People, women I followed that were into gaming and were into cosplay and all these things before I like took the leap and jumped in myself like to me I I think us just sharing our experiences and people like relating to that is really 
the thing that really touches me the most. And it's like, yeah, if I can put out put myself out here with all my flaws and all my fuck ups as a GM and all my things, and if that gets you to GM, then fan fucking tastic. That's the best thing that could happen. As somebody who's kind of come into the community more recently, it's it's interesting because I feel like what Happy Jacks does, at least for me, is this is the group that everybody wants their group to be like. It's super fun. It's super <laughs> relaxed. It, it's it's real. It's natural. Um, it's also it's, very inclusive. It's safe and inclusive. Yeah. Um, and I we mean, fuck up. And oh, all the time. We're like, oh, we fucked up with that. Yeah, you saw it. Yeah. So you can fuck up too. And we own it. And we <laughs> love yeah. it. Like yeah. we, we revel in the fuck up, which yeah. is great because that's what you do at home. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that and projecting that into the world, especially into this hobby, yeah. is, is kind of a, a nice beacon for people yeah. and shows them. You know, it doesn't have to be scary to be yeah. who you are and play the characters you want to play. Yeah. It, just go out there and, and play the characters you want to do, and, and I think this helps people do that. Yeah, I think that's something I've noticed a lot with APs, too. Because when we started doing APs, I was actually talking online with Satine Phoenix and a bunch of people the other day about this. Like, like we were like we were one of the first people actually putting games out there. Because people forget that games were out there before people started streaming. And we, we did them in podcasts yeah, way yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, and there's been a bunch of them. We started in uh, 2012 is when we started, when we released our first actual play. Um, and there were some other people doing it. A lot of them have pod faded. Um, RPPR is still out there. They're still releasing their APs. But when we started, like there wasn't any of the fancy editing or people adding sound effects to their their actual play podcasts and stuff like that. So it's just like warts like, and all. Yeah, it was like you recorded your session and that's what you got. And so that's one of the ways we actually started to be known a little bit because we had better audio quality because most people put out their like little tape recorder shit. And, like, we actually had a studio. So it was like, oh, they, you can hear what they're saying. So that's, like, actually how a lot of people got to know us. Um, but it's now shifted. And kind of the, the culture of APs now, um, at least especially with podcasts, is very heavily edited, like, sound effects and, you know, mood music and stuff like that. And I think in the way that some of the highly produced streams do, although streams aren't near, they're not like as edited and stuff like that as podcasts are, they don't add sound effects and stuff so much, is it's given this impression kind of uh, that people don't fuck up because they, they tend to edit out the fuck ups when people are stopping or, you know, when you know, food shows up Sorry, we don't we don't give a shit about that. Sorry, you know things we like used to that. Be worse. Yeah, we, oh god, we were so bad. <laughs> um, you know things like that. They tend to kind of like like it's it's like wearing makeup, like con- conceal all those things. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're lying; they're not saying those things aren't happening. But to make a a great audio product, a l- sometimes a lot of the realness ends up missing. And they're still fantastic. Like I love listening to some of the really well produced APs out there right now. Um, but I also kind of like that, like. Here we are with our zits and all. Like this is what a real game's like. Because I think people also learn from that, and I, I know I have. We once used. And I'm, I apologize for this, but I'm going to hit it and move off. But we once used the analogy between uh, of porn films. <laughs> it's like there's like it's, what happens in a porn film is not what actual sex is like. Mom's land. <laughs> 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 the chat room actually just brought that up. Yeah. Blue Troller's like, APs are like porn! They are. <laughs> they are. And so sometimes they're really slickly produced, and I really enjoy those. Yeah. Those are great, but that's but when you try to recreate that at home, you fail miserably yeah. because <laughs> there's no perfect lighting and there's nobody, you know, it's a whole it's a whole different thing. And and those are great, but that's not real. And I like to think that warts and all is kind of what, what we Yeah, do. exactly. We do. Just without mom's lamp. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think that's it. Is that all of it? I, I think so. We did it. Yay. We did it. Hey, nobody got hurt. No. <laughs>
so, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to push the thing. Wait. We have buttons. Um, There's buttons to push. There's sound effects. Oh, I don't know where the new song is. The new Happy Jacks anthem. You may have to listen oh. to the old one. Yeah. Or it'll just be a... Oh, no, this is the new one. Ha-ha! Look at me. I'm amazing. All right. Thank you so much. This has been Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, Season 24, Episode 20. 2420. I forgot to say that at the beginning of the episode, but that's okay. Um, but I did the little hesitation thing that Stu always does because he always forgets to. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, episode 2420. Uh, my name is Kimmy. I'm Joey. I'm Stork. And we will maybe leave you with a song if I can figure it out. Thank you very much, and we will hopefully see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Skillful game master, oh guide us well with yes ending to avert a disaster. Whether fate or curse or millions of apocalyptic acts, fellow listeners and every host will always have our Presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.